Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as a social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is targeted towards a wide audience, including both the general public as well as healthcare professionals. We are very pleased to welcome Dr. Jennifer Namazi as our guest to discuss a very timely and important topic surrounding the safety and efficacy of COVID vaccines during pregnancy. Dr. Namazi is a board-certified allergist immunologist who practices at Scripps Clinic in La Jolla, California. Dr. Namazi has extensive experience as part of the Vaccines and Medications and Pregnancy Surveillance System, otherwise known as VAMPS, as well as extensive experience studying the effects of pregnancy on asthma and allergic conditions. And with that, Dr. Namazi, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I know that this is an important topic to many of our listeners and one that has really, you know, drawn uh, a lot of, you know, not necessarily controversy, um, but lots of questions and rightfully so. But before we get into specifics regarding COVID vaccines in pregnant women, I'd like to really start by having you describe what the VAMPS program is. So if you could give us some background as to why that was developed in the first place, I think that'd be a, a helpful place to start a conversation. Absolutely. And I think you had um, our leader at VAMS, Dr. Michael Schatz, on one of your previous podcasts talking about the management of asthma during pregnancy. Um, but I'm very pleased to be part of the VAMPS um, group. It is Vaccine and Medications During Pregnancy Surveillance Study. It's a collaboration of the Quad AI with two research arms, the Mother to Baby Research Center at the University of California, San Diego, and the Harvard Pregnancy Research Group. And these two research arms really complement each other. Uh, the, the task force is actually um, you know, ongoing in terms of multiple activities and are reviewed by an independent advisory committee with um, representatives from the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the ATS, CDC, NIH, as well as consumer representative and biostatistician. So as you know, when a medication is released into the public, there's not much information on safety because pregnant women are largely um, not included in clinical trials. So post-marketing surveillance studies are really important in gaining information. So one of the goals of VAMPS is really to provide information to clinicians taking care of pregnant women over multiple conditions, really focusing on the safety of medications and vaccines during pregnancy. So what does what does VAMPS actually do then? Um, so you know, do, does it do people report in, or uh, how do they monitor sort of what's going on after uh, these medications and vaccines are out in in use? Yeah. So using these two data collection approaches, so the mother to baby uh, research center functions almost like a pregnancy registry. So one where it's a prospective cohort. Um, 
actually enrolling patients and following them during pregnancy up to one year after the baby is born. And the other arm really uses information from databases to look at specific outcomes and exposed uh, patients compared with unexposed patients. And using these two together, you can really gather a lot of information. I mean, you know, I think Dr. Schatz had spoken in his podcast that uh, the unfortunate consequences of not having enough information is one, potentially missing a harmful outcome that could have been caught, uh, which is less likely, but more likely two, the reluctance of actually using medications that might be necessary during pregnancy. So this type of information is really valuable and really trying to kind of narrow down these knowledge gaps in, among many different conditions. Who can participate in VAMPS? Do people have to sign up for this or are people automatically enrolled? Tell us a little bit more about that process. Anybody who's taking care of pregnant patients for a wide variety of conditions can, can refer their patients to studies that are ongoing and enrolling in our mother to baby arm of VAMPS. So um, currently we have multiple um, uh, programs going on right now, one of which is looking at um, severe asthma and pregnancy and the use of asthma biologics. And these patients who are on asthma biologics or have severe asthma, not on asthma bi biologics, can be referred to the Mother to Baby website at mothertobaby.org. Mother to Baby is also interested in examining the short and long-term effects of COVID-19 infection during pregnancy, as well as breastfeeding. And so these women can also be enrolled. And then ultimately, we are also looking at the effects of COVID-19 vaccination in pregnancy and during breastfeeding. Finally, Mother to Baby is currently recruiting women that have been exposed to a new constipation drug called Prucalipride, uh, as well as a comparison group of women, pregnant women without um, exposure to Prucalipide but have chronic constipation. Well, I think it's extremely reassuring that this this VAMS program is in existence, and it sounds like there's just collaboration from some of the most important agencies involved, really, in, in medication deployment and, and health in general. Uh, can you offer some examples of how VAMS has informed clinicians about medication use in pregnant women thus far? Any Anything stand out to you? Yeah, so you may know that the development of the influenza vaccine began in the 1930s, and in 1960, pregnant women were prioritized to receive the flu vaccine. But despite these recommendations to prioritize these women, vaccination rates still remain lower than the national targets, about 50% in the U.S. after all this time. And so most of our initial publications have been related to the safety of influenza vaccines during pregnancy. We've also studied long and short acting beta agonists. Um, for the treatment of asthma during pregnancy and are in the process of writing up those data. And then right now, as I had noted before, we're conducting current studies on COVID-19 vaccines in Prucalipide. Also since June of 2020, we've been updating on a monthly basis um, the document Caring for Pregnant Patients with Asthma During COVID-19 Pandemic to really assist the task force. You can find that document continually updated at the Quad AI website. Mm. 
Oh, that's great. Well, I appreciate the background, and I think it, it's really helpful for our listeners to understand this massive surveillance system that's been in place for such a, a long period of time uh, leading up to and throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. But now let's shift gears to the COVID vaccination among pregnant women, which is the main topic for today's episode. Is this something that's been specifically studied during the past year, or is it really just relied upon uh, the surveillance system that you already described? Yes, yeah, so um, more and more data has been coming out over the last year. I, I think it's really important to really understand the impact of COVID-19 infection on women first. The CDC has a COVID-19 data tracker, and as of the end of September, more than 125,000 lab-confirmed COVID-19 cases have been reported in pregnant people, including more than 22,000 hospitalized cases and 161 deaths. So we all know that in December 2020, the, um, the FDA issued the EUA for vaccines uh, to be used for COVID-19, but pregnant per people were excluded from pre-authorization clinical trials. And there was only really very limited human data on the safety of pregnancy available at the time of that authorization. Interestingly, in December 2020, the Society for Maternal and um, maternal fetal medical units and the ACOG both supported the use of COVID-19 vaccine in pregnant people. But it wasn't until September 2021 that the CD recommended urgent action to increase COVID-19 vaccine among people who are pregnant. And I believe it's because multiple factors. There's more vaccine safety data in non-pregnant people. And by summer of 2021, the Delta variant began circulating. There's more developmental and reproductive studies in animals uh, to assess the potential effects of all three vaccines that were being published during this period of time. And there was even more data on the effect of COVID-19 infection during pregnancy, and that there were adverse outcomes associated with this type of infection in this group of people. So it's really my opinion that the CDC recognized that these vaccines had more of a benefit that outweighed the risk of using it in this group of patients. So it sounds like the, the cumulative rate uh, and experience throughout the pandemic has shown an overall benefit compared to the risk, but are pregnant women still at increased risk to experience side effects from COVID vaccines compared to women who aren't pregnant? So it's interesting that data actually has come out. So I, I, I'm be safe which is a smartphone app tool that everyone can load onto their phone after being vaccinated, was really put in place by the CDC to monitor side effects and safety of the vaccines over time. If you had uh, said that you were pregnant at time of vaccine or within 30 days, you would then be invited to join the vSafe Pregnancy Registry. So this is the CDC's also the, the registry they have to kind of survey pregnant patients through this time. And as of last week, there are over 5,000 pregnant patients currently enrolled in the vSafe Pregnancy Registry. And so they were able to get data from these um, people report, you know, in terms of the types and frequencies of side effects. And they have found that there's really not too much difference um, in terms of pregnant people versus non-pregnant and side effects and types of side effects. It appears that serious nausea and vomiting were slightly more common in pregnant people. Also in a large retrospective study out of Israel, there were no serious side effects. So that's very reassuring. And the most common side effects were headache, weakness, and stomach pain. 
Um, you know, as we're allergists talking about this, and uh, we've been sort of tracking and following uh, anaphylaxis to COVID vaccines, which thankfully has continued to show that it is an extremely rare event. Uh, do pregnant women seem to be at increased risk to experience anaphylaxis from any of the COVID vaccines thus far? That has not been shown as well, so that's very reassuring. Mm, absolutely. You know, one of the biggest pieces of misinformation, I should say, that I've seen regarding COVID vaccines is that they can cause miscarriages or infertility. Is this true? Short answer is no, but um, I'll tell you where it comes from and, and really to highlight the word misinformation, because misinformation leads to mistrust. And that's one of the current challenges we have among all patients considering vaccination, but especially pregnant patients. Um, so uh, let's kind of focus on miscarriages and where that came from. So in December of 2022, physicians in Europe filed a petition with the European Medicines Agency, and that's pretty much the equivalent of the FDA in the EU. They requested that um, there was a halt to all vaccine studies due to the concern for female infertility. And what they claimed was that there was sequence homology between the spike protein of COVID-19 and a spike protein on a protein important for placental formation and attachment, therefore leading to infertility. Now, again, this has not really been founded, but it was disseminated in such a way that's really cemented this mis misinformation in the minds of so many people. What we have, though, is actual um, reports now that recent data from vSAFE have found that uh, pregnant patients vaccinated even before 20 weeks gestation don't have a higher risk of miscarriages. Also, there have been some strong statements from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine that specifically state that um, mRNA vaccines don't cause infertility or second trimester loss, stillbirth, and congenital um, congenital anomalies, and this has actually been supported by statements from the CDC as well. In terms of infertility, um, again, again, these statements from the CDC and reproductive medicine that there really has not been um, a lot of data to support this, you have to also look at the definition of infertility, which is not being able to become pregnant after one year of unprotected sexual intercourse. We haven't even seen this infection for, you know, for a good amount of time to really see this association. We do have some reassuring data from animal studies, both developmental and reproductive toxicity studies, um, showing that there's really not any alarm in terms of um, infertility. Also, a recent small study in men um, who received the Pfizer vaccine didn't really see any abnormality in sperm characteristics, quantity, or movement after vaccine. So there's more, I think we'll see some more data come out slowly as, as more people get vaccinated and the time kind of uh, goes longer. But it will take months to years to really get that emergence. And we are not seeing any initial signals to really be concerned. I really appreciate you taking the time to go back to the origins of those myths. Um, and I think that's so important. And as you pointed out, this really came from just some speculation, really, 
you know, it, as the vaccines were first being, being deployed to the general public. And from that speculation and conjecture, it led to all of this distrust. Uh, and it sort of takes on a life of its own. And I, I just can opine that I think we were seeing that throughout the pandemic with some of the earlier uh, use of um, unvalidated treatment regimens, for instance, where people hypothesize that maybe this can have some benefit. So along those lines, you know, when you talk to patients or colleagues or friends or family members, how do you, you know, help them critically evaluate the information that they're receiving? Do you have any, any, any tips for the rest of us? Yeah, it is a challenge um, <laughs> in a way because, you know, vaccines and pregnancy for kind of preventing communicable diseases has been one of the most effective public health interventions, right? We can really look back at all, uh, you know, the vaccines that we use during, and we, we have the potential to help two lives, right? And I think it becomes really important to be very clear in our communication and targeting strategies are needed, right? And information is needed. And that's where these post-vaccine surveillance studies really help to gather that information because data and information is knowledge. And that really increases confidence in the vaccine for not only our pregnant patients, but for the providers as well, the OBs ourselves amongst all specialties. That's an important point because all of us, we have the same questions, right? Um, but with our background and our expertise, we just have a better uh, understanding of how to critically evaluate the information that we're receiving. Um, but yes, I, I like that you pointed that out because we've all had the same questions throughout the pandemic and uh, we just need to go about a, a systematic way to answer those questions. Well, you, you put the idea of you know infertility miscarriages to rest uh, with you drop some knowledge with that. But Dr. Namazi, what about concerns with the mRNA vaccines? Is this going to alter a baby's DNA or cause mutations of any kind? So mRNA vaccines have been studied for years in um, certain infectious disease situations, oncology, you know, oncology settings. But unfortunately, no previous experience with pregnant persons is available with the mRNA vaccine. There's really no reason to think or expect that mRNA vaccines will work differently in pregnant people than other non-pregnant people. Um, and the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines do not alter DNA since they have no interaction with DNA. So um, the answer is no, that there's not a belief that it's going to alter the baby's DNA or cause mutations. Now, a small risk cannot be excluded, but a high risk um, of congenital anomalies in the children of women vaccinated with COVID-19 during pregnancy is really unlikely and based on the data to date, even more unlikely. Mm -hmm. it, I, I think it's important as well, of the way you explained things, you know, a question like this, some of us may scoff at it or kind of blow it off because we do understand that mRNA has no interaction with DNA and that it's, it's not necessarily, it's biologically implausible that it's going to cause those sorts of mutations. But when we address that, because uh, these are common concerns that our patients and the general public have, sort of just discussing it in a very factual manner, I think goes a long way as opposed to sort of, you know, scoffing at it or making fun of it. Would you agree with that or any other thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. That goes back to you know, misinformation or mm -hmm. um, understand, and it's complicated to understand how the mRNA vaccines work. And when you hear RNA and you think DNA and, and that sort of thing. So again, clear communication, right? Taking the time to really talk to patients and, and help them understand how these vaccines work. Um, it's just providing more information, more confidence. Oh, absolutely. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago about 
emerging data in regards to timing of, of vaccine administration during pregnancy. So does it really matter when a pregnant woman uh, would receive a COVID vaccine? Does risk differ during the first, second, or third trimester? No, and again, from um, the vSAFE registry, um, the preliminary data looked at looked at the timing of receiving vaccines and about a third received them in each trimester. And really the outcome was not any different than the general population. Um, and then again, I had alluded to earlier, they even looked at vaccinating before 20 weeks of pregnancy and they didn't find an increased risk of miscarriage among those patients um, or those people receiving the vaccine during that critical time. Mm, that's great. Well, so far we've discussed safety, but what about efficacy? Have, have studies demonstrated that there's any differences in vaccine efficacy for the COVID vaccines among pregnant women? I know that you know the physiology of a, of a woman undergoes such dramatic changes during the nine months of pregnancy as well as afterwards. So what have we learned in regards to efficacy of these vaccines? That's a really good question because efficacy is one of the concerns that leads to vaccine hesitancy in pregnant people. It's the fear of side effects on themselves and the unborn baby, as well as the efficacy of the vaccine and the doubt of that. We do have data coming out of Israel and over 15,000 pregnant women who were vaccinated um, and their, their vaccination versus non-vaccination was associated with a significant lower risk of infection. So we know that the vaccine works and protects these women. Also, we also know that, um, that they have the same sort of humoral immune response as non-pregnant people. And they actually generate higher antibody titers than those observed following the actual infection. And these antibodies are also present, have been found to be present in the umbilical cord blood and breast milk after vaccination. So we know that the, so it, we know it's efficacious, it's protecting them from infection. We know that they're building the same immune response as non-pregnant people. And we know that those antibodies are also present in other areas. Mm. Well, that leads me to my next question. I'm sure our listeners have a similar question as well. What about the babies? Uh, do we have any data that helps us understand how they are impacted by their mother being vaccinated? Is there transfer of protective antibodies? And do we have any idea how long that persists for? So there was an actual recent study that showed after vaccination, maternal antibody production as early as five days was found after the vaccination and transplacental transfer of passive immunity to the neonate as early as 16 days after the vaccination dose, the first one. But there's really no data to develop to, that's available right now to demonstrate if this really protects the baby in the newborn stage. I did mention that there have been binding and neutralizing antibodies found in the infant cord blood and breast milk. So this means that COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy might help protect babies against COVID-19. But of course, we need more data to determine how these antibodies might deliver or provide that protection. And then you touched upon the, the presence of these neutralizing antibodies in the breast milk. Uh, do we have any data in regards to whether that gets transferred to babies who are breastfeeding? So after pregnancy, uh, is there benefit for these babies if their mothers have been vaccinated? Right. The, the actual mRNA in the vaccine is short-lived and easily degraded. So the, it's very, very unlikely that any of the actual mRNA would be able to get into the breast milk. 
But again, the antibodies can get into the breast milk, and this may provide infants protection from the illness, similar to vaccines like Tdap. And so using the power of passive immunity to protect newborns is shown to be an effective way of preventing disease in newborns. But again, we need more data to see if that really is going to help. Mm -hmm. The power of passive immunity. I like that. I'm going to steal that from you if that's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so to summarize so far, I've heard you describe how uh, to date COVID vaccination among pregnant women appears to be uh, very safe and it not does not carry increased risk of any harm to the mother or to the baby. And there's also some uh, potential benefit to the baby as well uh, from, from mother being vaccinated. We know there's benefit to the mother. Would that, is, do you think that's an accurate summary to date? Absolutely, yes. Excellent. Well, we've been watching pregnant women, but let's shift gears, you know, the other side of the equation, because in my mind, it's never really been, should I get vaccinated or not? But it's really, what's the risk of uh, anything from the vaccine versus the risk of actually getting sick with COVID in real life? So what have we learned about pregnant women who get sick with COVID and don't have immunity from prior infection or vaccination? Are they then at increased risk for miscarriage or severe illness or what other side effects can they experience? Yeah, and I think this is probably the most important um, part to really understand and to communicate to your pregnant patients that we have data that pregnant women are at increased risk of a severe illness with 70% increased risk of death. Um, we know that pregnant women um, have a risk of higher risk of going into the ICU, having invasive ventilation and, and potentially death, but even more likely adverse outcomes like preterm birth or other outcomes like preeclampsia, coagulopathy, stillbirth. And more importantly, patients that have comorbid conditions like obesity, chronic hypertension, diabetes, have an increased risk of these adverse outcomes. Well, after all of this discussion so far, what have we learned about vaccine uptake among pregnant women? Uh, are they willing to receive the COVID vaccines, uh, you know, similar to the general population? Are they less willing? Uh, tell us a little bit more about what we've learned so far. So I'll tell you what the CDC reports as of September. 31% of pregnant people are fully vaccinated uh, before or during pregnancy now in the United States. In another registry called Pregistry, they surveyed pregnant women from 16 countries and found that 52% of pregnant women indicated that they would receive the vaccine. But we also know that pregnant people were six times more likely to delay vaccination and twice as likely to decline. And in addition, those who were trying to conceive had three times the odds of delaying or declining the vaccine. So we definitely have work to do. Mm -hmm. Do we have any insight as to why pregnant women are less willing to receive a COVID vaccine? Right. As I alluded to before, um, they're delaying or declining vaccines, number one, for fear of side effects um, on themselves or the unborn baby, and also the, the um, being unsure about the effectiveness of the vaccine, right? It comes back to efficacy, whether it's going to work. Mm. So along those lines, what can we all do as healthcare professionals or those who are listening or healthcare professionals to really offer uh, pregnant women uh, 
proper information to help them make informed decisions regarding these COVID vaccines. I mean, it's a, it's a time-limited condition, right? There's, there's nine months while they're pregnant. Um, so how can we reach them uh, in a timely manner? Right. And I'm going to quote one of your previous podcast guests, Dr. Mora, who talked about vaccine ambassadors. That's what we are. We're vaccine ambassadors. And uh, it's an important role we have. And it's really, we talked about misinformation and mistrust. Now we have to build trust, right? We have to build trust in the vaccines. We have to build trust with our patients. And that's done by sharing clear, complete, accurate messages, accurate messages about the COVID-19 vaccines. And that will help patients build trust in the vaccine themselves. And so I try to highlight some talking points when talking to um, pregnant patients that are considering, or even in, or childbearing age patients, even before pregnancy, really patients that are trying to conceive, we can really get in earlier and really um, get information out to a whole group, wide range of ages, really talking about number one, the risk of COVID-19 infection during pregnancy. We talked about those risks. We talked about the absolute risk being low in terms of severe disease and death, but, we, but what about the adverse outcomes we mentioned, preterm birth, hypertensive disorders, um, and then really focusing on those patients with comorbid conditions, those patients with diabetes, obesity, maybe older age, cardiovascular disease, really focusing on them and talking about the adverse outcomes. We also have to talk about what we know about the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. Let's talk about the initial data from VSAFE, the animal studies on developmental and reproductive toxicities. Um, talk about you know, what we know um, in terms of the safety data, and then talk about efficacy, right? We have limited data, but we do have some data. Talk about how that there's no product preference during pregnancy. And talk about mostly that the majority of hospitalized patients at this point are individuals who have not received the COVID-19 vaccine. And then talk about the safety and efficacy for the newborn. Talk about the antibodies that potentially are passed to the fetus when a pregnant patient is vaccinated. Um, and also we highlight, and we didn't really talk about this, but intrauterine transmission of infection is extremely low and rare, about 3%. So reassuring patients, if they get the infection, that, that likely it won't go to the baby. So lots of talking points. And as you mentioned, we need to be ambassadors and just be persistent and, and be willing to listen to the concerns that uh, that these women have and our patients have. Uh, and it's just, you know, one patient at a time, right? So what would you say, you touched upon this, um, but if you have a woman who says that she is pregnant, but she'd just rather wait until after delivery to get vaccinated, what do you say to her? I would just be clear and communicating that there is a potential risk of having the infection to both her and and the baby should she become infected with COVID-19 and I would highlight those potential adverse outcomes preterm birth hypertensive disorders including preeclampsia um, to really assist in kind of the informed decision making process and then also highlight on the efficacy of the vaccine in preventing kind of future infection as well mm -hmm. 
And would you have a similar message to a woman who's not yet pregnant, but is, is uh, trying to conceive uh, either actively or wanting to have a baby in the near future? Is there any reason for her to wait to be vaccinated or do you have a different message to send to that, that particular woman? No, no, there's really no data to, you know, to, to want to make me want to say that, but I would tell that patient that if you're trying to become pregnant, you may be thinking about becoming pregnant you don't need to avoid receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. There's no evidence currently that the antibodies made following the vaccine could cause any problem with becoming pregnant now or in the future. There was a recent in vitro fertilization studies where they had three groups of women, one with antibodies from having been vaccinated, one second from antibodies from having a recent infection, and third, not having any antibodies, and they found no differences in pregnancy success amongst these three groups. That's hmm. your voice. You're just you're so reassuring and calm, and I love I love your delivery and very to the point. And I wonder uh, if we can just put this recording on a loop at an OB office waiting rooms <laughs> across the country. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, Are you yeah, I it's have just a podcast I, I, voice. I have a podcast voice, right? <laughs> Oh, you have a wonderful podcast voice, but just your overall delivery. And I can only imagine um, how reassured individual patients are when they have these conversations with you. I think it's great. So uh, it's it's something all of us can learn from, frankly. Now, um, as we sort of wrap up here, you mentioned the VSAFE program that's voluntary for women to sign up for through the CDC. But um, are pregnant women eligible to enroll in VAMPS after they receive a COVID vaccine? Or is that really not applied to the situation? No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The mother-to-baby arm of VAMPS is very interested in um, examining, again, the short and long-term effects of COVID-19 infection during pregnancy and breastfeeding, as well as those women that have been vaccinated. So the study, just to give some information, uh, will consist of phone calls over the course of pregnancy and post-delivery or while breastfeeding. Um, there will be a release of medical records related to the pregnancy and infant's development and collection of breast milk samples. So I, I really uh, encourage um, all of your listeners uh, who are either pregnant or taking care of pregnant patients to really consider enrolling themselves in the mother to baby um, studies at mothertobaby.org. They can also call 877-311-8972. There's also an International Registry of Coronavirus Exposure and Pregnancy, IRCEP, and women can enroll and provide information to them via its website and mobile app as well. And this study will collect data on reproductive history, COVID-19 infection and symptoms, as well as vaccination. They'll complete monthly modules until their postpartum. Okay, and we're going to put links to all these um, these great websites and information in our show notes as well for our listeners. Yeah, your background is fascinating, and um, this is a, a specific area uh, to be interested in and to be an expert in. But it's so valuable. What uh, what got you interested in this area in the first place? I, I have to uh, say that uh, Dr. Michael Schatz, who is my mentor. Um, first got me interested. We worked on a project looking at the safety of inhaled corticosteroids during pregnancy when I was a fellow. And really, it's been a long um, 
wonderful uh, trip since then, working with him and Dr. Um, Tina Chambers from UCSD and the wonderful staff at Quad AI. Um, I've been interested in the treatment of allergies and asthma during pregnancy. That is my passion. Um, and so talking to pregnant patients, like you said, I, I really enjoy, this is just another aspect of providing information and education um, to try and, and, and really help pregnant patients navigate. Uh, any insight as to where this may take you 10 to 15 years from now? I can only imagine. I mean, you can go through every condition and how it affects women during pregnancy as well as the medications they, they receive. But have you thought that far ahead as to sort of next steps or what this may evolve towards? Yeah, I mean, I think working in the public health sector, you know, with this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, um, has made me think a lot about education at a more um, at a bigger level. Uh, one of the projects advanced that we're going to start working on is um, is an asthma, basically a written asthma plan for pregnant patients. Um, education and um, self management in this group of women is lacking, and we really need to come together. Um, even beyond specialties with OBs, with, um, you know, internists or family practitioners taking care of the pregnant patients. It's a, it's almost a, a group of people that have to come together and share their resources to help manage these patients. No, it makes perfect sense. Well, I appreciate you joining us and, and sharing your wisdom and as well as some of your own background and interest in this. And I think this has been a really informative conversation. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Do you have any last words before we depart? No, I just would encourage, um, again, any listeners who are pregnant or taking care of pregnant patients to really consider these studies that are available. They're ongoing now. Um, and so we can get enough information again, to narrow the knowledge gap, to provide really relevant, clear messaging to our patients about um, the COVID-19 vaccine. So thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.